because we're shameless self-promoters as we come back into the fast lane on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app, it will be one more time, and this won't even be the last. After we chat with Andrew Jones of Tar Heel Illustrated, will be the last time we remind you we have a slew of football action coming your way. Tonight, Jefferson Forest Cavalier Football presented by TrostLaw.com. They host Brookville, 630 East Coast Wings and Grill Tailgate Show on the Virginia's Talk Station app, 100.9 FM, and VirginiaTalkRadioNetwork.com, or stream WIQO Radio on your smart speaker. Then, triple headers tomorrow, starting at 1130 a.m. for Penn State at Ohio State, and Sunday, starting at 1230 a.m. for Atlanta and Tampa Bay of College Football Saturday and NFL Sunday right here on CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg. Now, somebody who has a game, we actually heard them last week as we carried the North Carolina-Miami game. Tar Heels pulling away in that game and getting the victory. They are still undefeated on the regular season. So, of course, this is a convenient excuse and opportunity. I'll put the positive phrase into this. To connect with Andrew Jones of Tar Hill Illustrated, and we truly mean it when we say he is a friend of ours. Andrew, welcome back into the fast lane. North Carolina, last week against Miami, could have been a look-ahead spot. They started slow, but seemingly looking like a just legitimate, organized college football team that took care of business and is in the thick of the ACC race right now. Yeah, what they showed last week is... There, I would say one of the, the main storylines of this team is they adjust well during the course of the game. They adjust very well. They have an older team. They have a lot of old guys on defense. And Gene Chizik, who last year was coaching after being out for five years, had to, he eventually realized he did some self-examination in the in January and realized some of the things that he was had been married to previously wasn't going to work because offenses had changed too much. So he tweaked things. And I think the line of communication and trust between the staff and the kids is as strong as I've ever covered in college football. So with that, they make adjustments. They've got smart kids on defense. They've got athletic kids. They've got quite a few NFL guys over there. And what's happened is, is the scheme has gotten to a point where it allows their football ability to take over. It's a perfect marriage. And they're not great defensively, but they're good. And with that offense, they don't need to be great. They just need to be good and opportunistic. And that's what they've, what they've been. They've forced 12 turnovers this year. They've been able to score a lot of the time after getting those turnovers. And they're getting off the field enough. They didn't get off the field last year. Third and 12 was a perfect situation for opponents. Now third and 12 means that Cayman Rutgers or Des Evans are going to be breathing down a quarterback's throat coming after him. So this is a very different football team on defense. And it's one that I think gets better each week. Even though Miami scored 31 last week, and two of those touchdowns came in the last six minutes after Carolina had a three-touchdown lead, and the game was kind of over. Before that, they had only given up 13 points in the second half of all their games against Power 5 teams combined. So they're they're bowing up in the second half and even maybe second quarter, really, after they make adjustments in the first quarter, and they're very good afterwards. I think that's the biggest story. It's not Drake May. It's not Tez Walker. It's the defense and their ability to, to adapt. You mentioned the defense. How has it gotten to this point where – 
in the first handful of years, not just last year, but the first handful of years, that seemed to be a unit where there were a lot of four and five star talent, but not much yeah. in terms of four and five star production. What's changed attitude wise about this defense? Well, I think a lot of it's the scheme. Kids didn't believe in Jay Bateman's scheme. He had come in from Army, and he had to play uh, sort of a quirk, had to have a quirky scheme to work at Army because they don't have the kind of athletes you're going to have at a Power Five school. It didn't work. He had this hybrid position that Des Evans played. Des Evans is 6'6, 260, and he had him covering running backs out of the backfield. And it didn't work. And after Bateman left, I'll never forget one of his teammates, one of the players said that last spring, year and a half ago in spring, 6'6", 260 guys should never be covering anybody. So they didn't believe in his scheme. Chiswick comes in, they believed in it, but then they give up 40 points in the fourth quarter to App State. And it took the rest of the season to get the trust back. The kids believing in Gene and Gene believing in the kids fully. I think Gene thought they could do it, but – that they, you needed that communication. I think the important piece here is Cedric Gray, the inside linebacker. Cedric has become as good a linebacker as I've covered in college. He is phenomenal. He could have been a second or third round pick last year, came back, and he might be playing himself into the first round. But what makes him so good isn't just that he's physically impressive. He is so smart. He's outstanding at pre-snap. He's a really good leader. He's a great film room guy. And I think what's happened is he's lifted a lot of kids on defense up sort of near his level as far as preparation goes and, and full communication with Chizik. Chizik said when he gets on the phone with Cedric, Chizik's up in the box. When he gets on the phone with Cedric when they come off the field, he said it's like talking to another coach. So when you have the key fanny slapper on defense be that kind of guy, he's just elevating everybody. So they're thinking the sport in pre-snap better than they have before. And as you know, Ed, if you're good in pre-snap, when the ball snapped, you, you take the right first step. Because if you take the wrong first step and you're a four- or five-star kid, then suddenly you're no better athletically than a three-star kid because you lose that split second. So they're able to take advantage of a lot of three-star guys on defense, believe it or not. Up front, they're all four-stars for the most part and one-five. But behind them, there are a lot of three-star kids, but they're so good in pre-snap that they, that they make the right move. They break off the ball really, really well. It's, it's impressive to watch after watching years and years and years of a Swiss cheese defense. Yeah, it's a totally different defense. The attitude's been better, it looks like, at least from the outside and from the wisdom of Andrew Jones of TarHillIllustrated.com, who's with us here in the fast lane. Andrew, pivoting from the defense over to the offense. They've been balanced. Drake May has been good, but has not been spectacular as many expected him to be to this point. What does that say about where this team actually can go as a unit that they've got a defense that's more than upheld their end of the bargain, and they've got an offense with a lot of weapons, and ironically enough right now, it's the run game that has done a lot of the heavy lifting and a passing unit that everyone knows can be lethal when necessary. Well, Drake's about where he was this time last year with passing yards, but not with touchdowns. What's what's kind of interesting is he's had five passes, fairly long pass plays, that the, the Tar Heel who received the pass was stopped at the one or two yard line. Matt talks about that all the time. Drake should have more touchdown passes because of that, right? 
So then they just give it to Marion Hampton. He plows into the end zone and gets a rushing score. But you're right. They, they changed offensive coordinators. Still Longo went to Wisconsin. They brought in Chip Lindsey, who is not just more run-oriented, because Phil would run the ball, but he's run between the tackles oriented. They have changed their mindset up front. To be to, to be more of a have more of a road grading attitude on the offensive line and their effectiveness running between the tackles the inside zone runs have been has been really good and that's where Amarian's strong because Amarian's 235 pounds and he's a punishing runner so it's a good marriage there and they haven't had to rely on Drake's arm to sustain drives there have been a couple of drives that have been ten or more plays where Drake's thrown the ball like twice. And he's fine with it because he he's the one who adjusts a lot of the calls at the line of scrimmage. They don't run as much RPO stuff. They take care of that in pre-snap. And Drake will change a lot of calls to a run play. And he doesn't care because he just wants to win. And if he needs to throw, he's going to throw. And I think the passing game's going to get better, by the way. With Tez Walker there, he changes things tremendously. He changes things for everybody. So I do think you're going to see – more and more production from Drake moving forward. And it's been a while since he's thrown an interception, too. That was sort of the early bugaboo, but he hadn't thrown one in 131 pass attempts. So I, I think you're going to see the passing game uptick a little bit more moving forward, but the run game's going to be there. The balance is key because when they need to grind at somebody, they can. When they need to go wide or go downfield, they can now, too. They weren't going downfield a whole lot early. But now that Walker's there, they can go downfield because he's a take-the-top-off-the-defense guy big time. And because he's out there, safeties are frozen. It helps the run game. It also helps other guys get one-on-one coverage. Someone like Nate McCollum, the kid that was at Georgia Tech last year, caught 60 passes at Georgia Tech with that mess of a quarterback situation. So you can only imagine what he can do at North Carolina with Drake throwing him the ball. Yeah, I mean, you've got a a top-five NFL draft pick coming up uh, in April tossing the ball. It can make things drastically different. Andrew, we've said this often in the fast lane, and uh, full disclosure, Brett Freelander of SaturdayRoad.com agreed with me on this, so you you might be uh, treading into some hot water when we pose this for you. But we outlined in the last week and a half a couple of different scenarios for North Carolina that are best case. Tell us how reasonable these are to happen. Drake May wins the Heisman. Drake May leads North Carolina to an ACC championship and thus as an undefeated team a spot in the college football playoff. Wow. Um, I don't think he's going to win the Heisman because I don't think his numbers are going to be daunting enough because they are going to try to get him the Heisman. They're going to do what they need to do. And I think, Part of that's going to be Omari and Hampton running for 1,500 yards, something like that. So I don't I don't think he's going to – plus, I know Caleb Williams had a bad game last game, but Michael Penix, they keep winning. There are other guys that are getting a lot more attention, and people have sort of picked at Drake early and tossed him aside. The only chance I think he would have is for Carolina to be 12-0 and going to Charlotte. And if, and if they're 12-0 and and he is awesome against Duke, Clemson, and State to close the season – then he would have a shot, but I wouldn't. I would say that's less likely than them going twelve and zero. I mean, I think that that's very realistic. It's going to be tough against Duke because Duke is a legitimate defense, the most physical defense probably in the league, 
But then maybe the next most physical defense is Clemson. They got them the week after Duke. And then maybe the next most physical defense after that state, they got them the week after. So they're going to get challenged those last three games for sure. They should be 9-0 and when Duke comes to town in November. So um, I think 12-0 and and maybe winning the ACC championship, the odds are better that that happens than Drake wins the Heisman. But this is North Carolina football. And what I've seen is different. The vibe that I got in the offseason when, when I would go over there and talk with some people was different. I had a very noteworthy person in the program say back in May, why can't we be this year's TCU? And it made sense because they had the foundation to, to, to be really good, although I never thought 12-0 and was possible until I saw them play, until I saw them make adjustments, until I saw them not panic at all. Under, when stuff goes bad, uh, badly, they panicked like crazy last year, especially on defense. Not now. They just man up and make the adjustment, and then they're really good for five or six stretches. You know, Pittsburgh had touchdown drives its first two possessions. Its last 10, it had three points. They held Minnesota to 40 yards their last four possessions and pulled away. So they do things like that, which North Carolina teams haven't done in the past. It's been a long time, probably since Mac was there before. So it's still North Carolina, Ed. And it's one of those deals that until they do it, it's hard to project that they will do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I get it. It's something that they have not been able to do on the gridiron, which is uh, play with focus and intensity when the games get more important down the stretch. Um, We spent about 13 minutes of our chat today with Andrew Jones of Tar Heel Illustrated trying to delay the inevitable, which is the opponent that North Carolina has this coming Saturday for that 6.30 kickoff from North Carolina, the Virginia Cavaliers. I'm opening up a can of worms, Andrew. What do you see when you prepare uh, in your own study of TarHillIllustrated.com's game previews? What do you see in the Virginia Cavaliers right now? Well, I think one thing that that should give UV fans a little bit of optimism is when they take the field Saturday, it it will have been three weeks since they've tasted a loss. Because they beat William & Mary, then they had the open date. So they feel pretty good. They probably feel better about themselves now than they have all year, maybe except you know, midway through fall camp. So they're going to be confident. They've made their decision at quarterback, so they know who's going to take the snaps, provided Musket doesn't get hurt. They've got some guys on the outside at receiver that you have to be aware of. And I don't. I know the defensive numbers aren't what they were a year ago, but I, I don't think they're terrible defensively. I think they're okay. So – this is a game that North – and it's a rivalry game. It means something still when these two schools play each other. It's not like George Welsh versus Mac Brown in the 90s, but it still means something. And there's also the component, a possible component, that North Carolina's maturity isn't what we think it is, and the Tar Heels aren't ready to go. And they have some breakdowns. Now, they have been poor at times in a couple of special teams units. They've had two punts blocked. They have a lot of kickoff return for a touchdown, some other long returns. So what I'm saying here is if Carolina's not ready to play and they're, they're poor on offense, they don't make great adjustments on defense, and suddenly they, UVA blocks a punt, they get an easy score there, they run a kickoff back, suddenly this could be a very interesting game. 
as as one of the Tar Heels told us the other day, I can't remember exactly who it was, but he said, this is college football. Anything can happen. Because Mac shows them every Sunday upset. He shows them the score, shows them the box score. And he even shows them sometimes a team gets upset that is that has much better stats, but they have a lot of penalties and they have some key turnovers. And they lose the game that they're not supposed to lose. So apparently he showed them like 15 types of games that have occurred this season like that that would measure up to UVA coming down here and getting a win. So he's trying to he's trying to get them to understand that they have to be ready. And the other thing he did too, which we've written about and talked about down here, probably to the point where people don't want to hear about it anymore, is the poisonous cheese story, which maybe you you've caught wind of. Oh yeah. Yeah, very, very quickly. I don't want to use up all your time. Very, very quickly. Uh, in 2005, when Mac was at Texas, they were number two in the country, right behind Southern Cal. It was late in the year, and all the talk was Texas versus Southern Cal for the national title. That was before the playoff. So Bill Parcells, Texas is getting ready to play Texas A&M, who was 4-7. and seven. Texas is coming off a 66-14 win over Kansas. Back in Kansas is pretty good. Mark Mangino was the coach back at that time. So Parcells calls Mac on Monday and says, you're in trouble. You're going down there. It's a proud program. It's a proud team. they got good players, and it's going to be their Super Bowl. That's their bowl game. And he says, don't, don't be the rat and eat the poisonous cheese. So Mac thought about it, and he ended up putting a piece of cheese in each player's locker. And Texas goes down to College Station. They're down 29-24 at the half. And Mac tells his team, okay, you guys aren't going to die. Don't, you're not going to die, but you're going to be sick to your stomach because you ate some of that cheese. Now go out there and get rid of the cheese. And they went, they went ahead and won the game. So this week he told the team that story. And when the players got to their lockers Wednesday morning, each one of them had a piece of cheese hanging on a fishing line in their locker with that message, don't eat the poisonous cheese on the wall. So he, he's guarding against the upset. He's guarding against the letdown because as a coach, you have to, especially in a game like this, but I think he also knows that UVA is going to bring it. UVA is going to bring the best mentality that's going to have all year into this game. And because of that, because of some of the areas that Carolina needs to shore up, Wahoos have a chance to do something interesting this weekend. So what ends up happening more likely? This is how we'll wrap it up with Andrew Jones of Tar Heel Illustrated, who's with us here in the fast lane talking UVA at North Carolina. The Virginia Cavaliers make this competitive and maybe have a chance for an upset, or that the Heels handle business and show just how good they are? That's a great question because I'm still trying to figure out who they are. And this is one of those games that is not going to get any chatter nationally or even regionally, really. But it's going to tell us a lot about Carolina. If this is a 27-17 to 17 game, then maybe Carolina isn't as mentally sharp as we think they are. If it's 40-7, to 7, then maybe they are. Because I think it probably should be 30-something to 7, 30-something to 10, based on what we've seen through the midpoint of the season with both teams. But that's why they play the games, right, Ed? Yep. It's not on paper. I think Carolina wins. I think that they probably have a little bit of a battle, but they pull away because they adjust so well. And they'll make adjustments. And a guy like Cedric Gray, as good a leader as he is, and, and Drake May, who is the same kind of leader on the other side of the ball, they'll probably see to it that the Tar Heels put together enough to pull away for a win.
Andrew, a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for your time today in the fast lane and personally excited because it's only a couple days till we actually get to meet up and speak again in person down at the ACC basketball tip-off in Charlotte. Looking forward to it, man. I'm going to bring some scissors. I'm going to cut your hair next week too, right? You'll add on to it. I got it cut a couple days ago. Did you really? Last photo I saw of you, you were looking like you could be in a rock band. Well, I mean, I still might, but just not as much. A lot of people can't wear that, but you wear it well. I still like to give you crap about your hair. Hey, I'll beat my chest over being able to pull it off for as long as possible. I'm sure it won't last forever. Andrew, thank you again for the time today in the fast lane. Absolutely. Always a pleasure talking with you. Indeed. Andrew Jones, Tar Heel Illustrated, with us in the fast lane. If you missed it, Fast Lane, Ed Lane, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, wherever you listen to podcasts, because we're back Monday afternoon, 5 to 6.